Okay, hello everybody. Welcome back to Doomer Optimism. Um, I am here with Tessa Carmen. So this was supposed to be like a panel discussion on Charlotte Mason. However, uh, the women, the other women who are supposed to come, of course, have mothering duties. And we've put off this episode like five times for various mothering and family related duties, which is great. Um, but it makes it hard for women's and mothers' voices, I think, to be heard on um, on this kind of format. So I thought it was we would just go ahead. Tessa and I would have a conversation. We are going to talk about Charlotte Mason um, and other topics, but I wanted to recap first. Um, Tessa and I got to meet in person at the Front Porch Republic Conference um, in Madison, and that was super cool. So I just wanted to like hear your take on that experience and then maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit um, and then we'll jump in. So welcome. Right. Well, thank you so much for having me on here, Ashley. It's, this is really, really exciting. Um, so yeah, FPR, I uh, said this at the, during this, the talk I gave, which I was kind of flabbergasted that I was talking there because I went to my first front porch republic conference in like 2011 with my debate coach and some other friends and she was like here's another world of people who are talking about wendell berry and not i don't know just about milton friedman or what you know whatever we were, we were you know learning about in college and and debating about and uh so that was great i i mainly remember well several things but one of the speakers coming in from delivering his, uh, I think it was lambs. Um, he was like, hi, I just, I just have, I'm a little late. Sorry. I, I got to go back after this. That's um, so, fun. so, so that was really great. And then, yeah. So, um, and then, uh, had been following FPR's work and wanted to be at this conference, especially since Paul Kingsnorth was speaking. And then, and then we ended up speaking too. So that was, that was cool. Um, and it was so that was that was really really cool to just be able to speak there where people i've looked up to and also friends of mine have spoken at other conferences and to speak about the a topic that i think about a lot nowadays living living as humans in the machine age yes um, and meeting other people who think about that a lot too or you know or at least like living that out right yeah so yeah, it was it was really fun. And I I think I think that was the maybe the biggest, maybe most striking thing was we are meeting other people who are thinking about this. And hopefully people who thought I was the only one thinking about this know that they're not the only one. And hopefully yeah. they'll Yeah. Yeah. And your talk was so good. I loved your talk so much. It was so um soulful and practical which is which are my two favorite things like that so my feeling I hadn't ever been to an FPR event before I only found about out about them since I had been on Twitter which is like the past couple of years but they were a great outlet for a couple of my thoughts and and articles that I was writing and couldn't really find another home that made sense for them and then I found FPR and I was like wow this is such a great publication and then Jeff Bilbro asked me to speak um, in general, I think FPR sort of tends toward the more philosophical and academic, but there are people, there's a whole subset of people who are drawn to it, who are both philosophical and pra 
practitioners in some way. There was a ton of uh, far, small farmers and homesteaders and mothers and, and people doing practical things there and talking about practical things. Um, but I remember, what was the example from your talk you were saying? Um, was it, there were some like specific examples of things you could do in the home that were just like neighborly and fun and ways to get together. And I thought they were like so creative and so different from some of the other talks, which were like, you know, ruminating on a, a, a philosophical concept, but yours was like, let's do this. Let's try these things. And these, these are fun. What, what was, what was, what is the example I'm thinking of? I'm yeah, thinking. I, I, yeah, I tried to, I tried to pull a Peter Kraft and be kind of like, here are all these things. Here are my 30 points, <laughs> like <laughs> ones that are, they're helpful. Yeah. I mean, gathering for play readings and yeah, doing and, and doing dramatic readings at home and just like, you know, playing dress up, uh, like with your kids. My, I come from a family of a lot of farmers, um, and not theatrical people but they're really good at dressing up that's fun. it was just that's just what you do they're serious yeah. about that sort of thing that's so um, fun. yeah like having people over and doing um uh like doing your I don't know if I said this but like doing your chores with people mm. you know don't don't wait till your house is pristine to have them over like we need it's like my my um uh one of my cousins was in college one time and she was came over she was in college in town and she came over and I was kind of trying to clean up my house picking up you know little kids socks and she was like she got down in her hands and knees and said oh I've missed picking up little kids socks I've been with all these you know late so <laughs> I love that yeah so I I know I, I remember Keturah gave a talk at FPR that was like her living room academy was this like way to just accept people be a good host to think about like how to use your home as a place to like build community build up civic society this kind of thing so yeah I loved your talk I feel like the women not to be like sexist but the women gave really good talks and were just like had a substance that was different that was really appealing to me um at least where my mind is at the moment a lot of the women gave like really practical talks they were like I, I feel like in a lot of just my experience at conferences it's like you're supposed to pretend you don't have a family so it was nice to just hear people talk about their kids as like part of their lives and how important like thinking about family and motherhood was to their like whole you know philosophy and life philosophy so I thought that was really cool I, I do I do think there that is something I've I've noticed too even in the last last years or like the previous year's FPR conference it was really great ever you know it was you know great panelists but the two women were the practical ones they're like this is what I've done right. <laughs> this is what you can do I love and that's it. what everyone's asking they're asking Paul Kingsworth so what do we do yeah everything you know that's the main question and what does this look like yeah because you need the you need the vision you need the philosophy but you also need the philosophy lived out and you I loved your finale to the conference and you're just like here are all these specific examples of right. people doing amazing crazy things of various ways and and it's all they're all different right go do likewise go right. and do your thing yeah yeah that was fun I I thought like 
Well, that's my, kind of my whole thing is like um, just pointing out examples that are like super accessible, practical, um, but also just like a little zany and fun and, you know, bringing the sort of meaning and, and soulfulness back into the thing. So it was, it was super fun. It was like, <laughs> at first um, I was like, I have to do a PowerPoint presentation because I could describe all these people, but it's like so much more fun with pictures. And so I was really cute that at the conference, um, I was the only one with a PowerPoint presentation because I had never been there before, but I was like, I'm using it. I'm sure nobody else is using one, but I'm using one. I'm going to go against the grain. And everybody booed me, like jokingly booed me. So it's like, yeah. using the PowerPoint, it was really cute. And, but I think it was fun. It was, it was totally different, but fun. Um, okay, yeah. so speaking of practical, um, life philosoph philosophies that can then be put into specific practice. Um, let's talk about Charlotte Mason. Um, I think a lot of people, my experience is a lot of people have not heard of Charlotte Mason. Um, so I only kind of know about Charlotte Mason for the past couple of years. Um, <clears throat> I think like in the middle of the pandemic, I hosted, I organized a homeschooling uh, class where I brought in five different parents who had experience, significant experience in different philosophical approaches to homeschooling. Um, the first one was like traditional homes. Uh, well, not traditional, I guess, basically like classroom schooling brought into the home. So like workbooks, right. textbooks, whatever. Then I did an unschooling guy who was just like unschooling is this whole philosophy. It's like follow the child. And it's not like they're not learning, but it's like based on their curiosity um, and then I did a project-based learning woman who, whose kids were basically like building games and coding and doing like this MIT program and like basically trying to complete projects as the learning experience. And then I had Roxanne um, come and teach about Charlotte Mason. And that, that one class out of the um, group, it was like, it's like this very holistic my understanding is um, very homesteading based. There's a lot of practical, um, you know, like actually doing things in the home. There's hymns, which I think is really sweet. There's like music involved in it um, and great books and literature that are like sort of part of the Western canon, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and so anyways, yeah, tell me, like, let's do a, just an intro to what is this, you know, what is the, the background on what is Charlotte, who is Charlotte Mason? What is the overall curriculum and then we can kind of dive in? Yeah, yeah. So uh, part of my mission is to bring Charlotte Mason beyond the, like the, the pocket of homeschooling um, that where she's really popular right now, which is wonderful. But I think she is this incredibly important thinker that uh, you know, someone's, someone's got to write several PhD theses on her. So, so here goes. Um, so she was born in like 1842, I think it was, died in 1923. So she was living during a time where, you know, education, there's still like this, these education movements in England, right? Where like, it's not like compulsory education has been introduced for everyone yet. People are, you know, starting the Sunday school movement and starting free schools because like we need you know the minor's child to be educated too and not just the people going to university or going to entering the clergy and stuff 
so it was kind of a nice time where there wasn't there's was a lot of uh interest in educating people well and raising people well but also there wasn't um a ton of oversight by the state yet mm. uh, there was interest but not a bunch of oversight and there's a whole story that could be told about why Charlotte's Ma Charlotte Mason's work was lost after a few years after she died because and partly it's because of the post-World War II world like modernization just all this stuff like she was forgotten until Karen and Dean Andriola I think it was discovered her work and it was it was basically sort of thing like this box we're gonna throw away like that sort of level of almost forgotten uh and and they're like we should we're looking for another way of educating our children we're living abroad in england wait a minute there's someone who's thought through this stuff let's let's republish them uh i got the the six volumes of her uh work right here and it even even has a blurb from elizabeth r her majesty the queen mother cool so so there you go um Wait, so and I'll, wait, I'll just interject briefly that this history is so great because one thing we we like talk about a lot on this podcast is like, when should we have stopped? <laughs> like, what, what is the period of history where we should have like, like we've invented enough, but um, I don't, we don't act, I don't actually feel like we should have stopped, but there are periods in history where the like intersection of um, modern invention with the folk ways of knowing that have been were like sort of evolved from the past kind of came together to make like just a super high quality of life and it's like it sounds like Charlotte Mason is right at that moment where it's like you haven't lost all of this like historical folk way vernacular knowledge but then you do have like sort of the ability to use modern scientific like enlightenment thinking or modern inventions uh, to make life slightly easier than, you know, the historical, you know, 10,000 years of agricultural civilization. So it's like, um, I think a lot of us are sort of interested in that period of time. Like what, how did people, how did people live at the, in that period of time? And what did they think? And not losing that kind of knowledge and, and what, what comes to mind for me, I'm in my new house in Chicago and it was built in 1925. And so I've been like looking at all this like 1925 design and it's like super cool it's it's made industrially but at a small scale but it's really beautiful and ornate and like there's a real like focus on beauty still that's like this traditional sort of um uh I guess value to really make beautiful things and so anyways this just reminds me of all that that like looking at this one little period of history it's like how you describe this curriculum and philosophy sitting in a box like almost lost that's that resonates so much there's so much like that where we're all like trying to rediscover these things that were like little nuggets that were that are are necessary now at this point in history yeah no it's so it that that's such a good point because she in so many ways when even yeah even though charlotte mason's writing in a time where there are more uh you know just just basic civic institutions are working um there and there's like folk knowledge is a thing it's also 
right at the turn of the century of all right. this shaking the world. And she is dealing, she's dealing with all that. And she's an Ang- Anglican Christian, um, uh, has a really interesting, she, she was actually um, a single child effectively and um, never married, um, but she ended up dedicating her life to teaching um, and you know started all these schools, including schools like here's the free school for really low income kids. And here's like, and here's this um, uh, group where like, you know, these, you know, aristocrats are funding these different organizations. Like she was just like all this networking yeah. of stuff and like these teacher training colleges and such. But she's, she's thinking about Darwin and Marx and the new, you know, historical criticism of the Bible and stuff. And she's like, okay, like just by the by especially and especially when it directly applies to maybe something she's talking about with ed, with raising a child in a particular developmental stage she gives examples of how do we think about the past in view of everything that's shaking up and she is amazingly level-headed and just even keeled she's like well you know let's see what has actually changed right, right. like what has human nature actually changed no, Plato is still relevant, but also she says, look at all these new insights that science is bringing us. This is great. This is, and she uses the word scientific a lot to kind of back up like this is scientific and not in the kind of incredibly reductionistic way and sometimes propagandistic way. Right. Have nowadays. So, so it's kind of funny to read. It's just like, this is scientific. What are you talking about? There's <laughs> like, no, it's like more of a full, full idea of like science knowledge and just like we have we see now how, you know, there are grooves that are made like in your brain, you know, in your body when you have a habit that's made mm-hmm. and how do you like that is part of your body, your body and soul are interrelated. So how do you develop a new habit? You know, you do have to regroove it. So she, so she gets into that and just like, this is great. You know, th- yeah. this helps us with, you know, for me, forming the human being. So so she does, uh, she was also friends with the Chestertons. Okay. Which I just, just love that little tidbit of Francis Chesterton or Francis Blog was Charlotte Mason's secretary. And then she went and got married. Um, but I love the idea of like G.E. Chesterton and Francis Chesterton, they also could not have kids. And that was a great tragedy to them, but they made up this pact where they were going to involve kids in their life mm-hmm. whenever possible. Like they would, you know, go to the more packed with children train car, you know, oh. over the other one. Like they, and then they, you know, have the kids to do nativity plays and see their live donkey and stuff. Um, and so they're kind of like Charlotte Mason and just like, they dedicate their lives to children, even though they didn't have children of their own oh my gosh this I just have to briefly say I know I get a bad rap sometimes because sometimes I say like um there is like this girl boss like I don't need to have a husband or kids like I'm fulfilled but with my like consumer habits but there there is totally a traditional role and I've said this I've like corrected the record a bunch of times but there is a traditional role for people childless people in society there's like tons of roles for them and uh, in 
in the the aiding of parents and teachers and everything else uh, in the rearing of children. Um, and I just think that that's so cool and so special and like something anyone could do, even if you're not able to have kids, like make a big impact on the lives of children. I think it's so cool. And the other thing I want to say is I read this book like 15 years ago called The Modern Mind that basically told these uh, different stories of super famous figures of the 20th century, super famous intellectuals, but like who knew who? And I always find those stories so cool. Like, you know, Marx is writing to this guy and it was like, oh my gosh, they knew each other and they corresponded. And they like, so the whole, the whole book is, is not just about the ideas, but like how they came together with these famous figures. And I just love the idea that we could be in the, we, you know, our little FPR group could be um, such a group, but like, I feel like um, we could, you know, I just think it's really cool to, to think about these like really awesome figures, knowing one another and influencing each other's thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just like their, and just like the normal everydayness of their time. Like, like I, I, I was thinking about C.S. Lewis recently um, because he, you know, just, saw an article about him that reminded me of something I got struck by when I read more about his life and realized mm. oh he didn't have a easy home life at all he wasn't just sitting there writing all his books with no interruptions right he had so much to deal with and to stress him out and I have nothing to complain about it is like right. <laughs> so like okay that's and then I was comparing him with like Tolkien also just like this great father and you know helping out uh, at home and stuff. And then Charles Williams was like, I'm going to schedule this lecture at seven. So I don't have to put down the baby at home. <laughs> okay. Ow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Lewis, you can stay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I just thought those real, uh, yeah, those friendships and relationships and the reality of the everyday. Um, I, I really love that. So yeah. Sh so Charlotte Mason, uh, so she, basically put together, synthesized this philosophy of education. And the uh, basically, how do you raise a human being? Yeah. Was the question she was answering. And, and that was kind of the thing was not, her goal wasn't, what is the way in this modern world to raise the new man? She was like, man is, a human is still a human. Right. And we haven't, yeah, like things are different, but not that different. A human being is still a human being. So how do we grow, take from the past, from all that, that's that wisdom and mistakes and whatever, you know, learn from the past in the present and just raise a child well, according to these basic principles, mm -hmm. um, starting with, you know, what is a human being? And, and she never called her, I mean, it is a philosophy. Like she has a method with that philosophy because that was what she was all about. Like, how do you do this? She was teaching people how to do it, you know, these colleges and training governesses and mothers. And she had a distance education course for mothers who were, you know, just being a mother, but you yeah. do the correspondence. Um, and, you know, it was not the Charlotte Mason method. It was not about her. Like we say in Charlotte Mason now, but she's like, just how do you raise a human being? Mm. And, and the, and so what do you got to do? You got to get people united around this, especially parents 
And so she started the Parents National Education Union. Mm. And and then there was these, you know, PNEU groups, schools all over England living this out. And they had a journal called the Parents Review that she edited and they would just like have pieces on manual labor or how to teach natural history or an, a review of a new book or how do you deal with this character challenge in your five-year-old or 15-year-old. Um, they would talk about boarding schools, you know, because this was England and sometimes right. you send your kid to a boarding school during high right. school. Um, and it was just this really, uh, and, you know, reports on, oh, this local natural history club, you know, this is what they're doing, or this lecture is happening. And here's a report in the lecture or on the discussion. And that's what she was doing, just starting all these colleges and then, and writing, you know, putting, gathering her lectures into six books where she just kind of goes through like, okay, this is what you do at home. This is what you do during the school age, no matter where you are, right? You might be at a school. You might be, you ha might have a governess at home. You might be a minor's family and you don't have a maid, right? <laughs> but maybe this person does have a nurse. And so make sure the nurse is educated, you know, like knows what your method is. Yeah. Um, and what, you know, just any, if you're living in a tree house, you know, it just, wherever you are. Yeah. Principles. So. Uh, and we can talk about the, some of those basic principles, um, but that's like, that's what she did and all this, and all those schools are, yeah, they kind of, kind of died um, again with, with modernization and stuff. But what I like to think is that like all these young people who wrote tributes to her after her death, mm -hmm. like, and many, many other people, like like Lord Baden Powell who started the scouting movement. He was like, she inspired me to start the Boy Scout movement. Oh, really? Cool. So this is a, I love this story. So he, so she, he writes to his like kind of scout handbook, his first scout handbook. And she finds the textbook and she's like, this is great. This is, this, this goes along with the philosophy and a good education is observation and you know, deep attention to the world around you. This is excellent. I'm going to add this to my curriculum in my teacher training college. Mm -hmm. And so then this general is walking along out outside, um, uh, ambling along and he hears his son call out to him and say like, dad, you're dead. I shot you. <sighs> He's like, what are you doing in the tree? <laughs> and then he looks in the other tree and the, his governess is in the tree. And the boy's like, you do, you weren't looking around. You weren't observing your surroundings. I love it. And the general's like, what are you doing? And governess is like, oh, we were having a scouting lesson. Because <laughs> I just graduated from Ambleside Teacher Training College. Um, so yeah, she's just like, she's like, oh yeah, that's attention. Attention to the world. Yep, let's let's do that. That's I love it. That's taken in. But that that's that's one of the big things is. I, get, I think her, her philosophy education, it, it, it can't really be summarized easily because, you know, how can you summarize a human being, right? right. Um, but that's what makes her work so helpful is that she gets into the details of every de developmental stage from birth to, to adulthood, mm -hmm. really. Like her teachers would come to 
her school and say, all right, I'm, I'm here to learn to teach. She says, no, 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 no. You're here to learn how to live. Mm. You're here to learn how to observe, how to, you know, do brush painting. You're going to, you're going to go do scouting outside. You're going to, you know, read and, you know, with deep attention uh, and you're going to form relationships with things of beauty, with people, with your neighborhood, with history, because that's, you know, part of your, 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 um, your heritage. Mm. Um, and that's what she sa says. She says, education is the science of relations. And that so much, I mean, you can go back to that in every single level. Like, did you, you know, did you enjoy that book? Did you find have a relationship with that book? I don't care how good of a paper you could write about it. Did you have a relationship with it? Right. Love the characters or else it's not, it's no good. Right. I love that. And actually, I think um, two things. One, the, the like standardized education in public schools, <clears throat> it's like, you know, trying to, to, to make everybody fit into one model as opposed to um, thinking about how individual children and students um, might have individual curiosities and um, proclivities and interests. And so um, I, I like this idea of relational um, thinking or um, paying attention to the relationship a, a person has any point in their lives to the thing that they're learning about or doing. Um, yeah, and I'm, I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but we but I do want to move on to let's go through the basic principles first, and then maybe we could do little snippets of um, the different age related, like maybe like yeah. infancy like babyhood and then maybe early childhood and maybe middle childhood um and but first let's go through the basic principles um and you know chat about them if anything comes up and then maybe the the different stages yeah yeah so so i'm i'm gonna mention some of the basic principles and then and then we can like maybe give some example stuff because she's got 20 principles okay. so maybe it will be boring to list them so all we don't have them. to but they're they're yeah that some of them are just like getting more deeply into the the earlier ones um so i'm just gonna have them in front of me because uh all right so uh i'll so her, her first principle is children are born persons mm. so this isn't as opposed to right they're not a blank slate right they're not um and her second principle is uh goes along with it they're not born like good or bad like it's not like um there's example of uh like mr collins in pride and prejudice tells the mother like well your one daughter she went off the rails because she was just going to be bad right there was nothing you could do it's not your fault right um and you know just some people are good, some people are bad, and like in that way. She's like, no, that's everyone is born with tendencies toward good and tendencies toward bad. Like we all, you know, love praise, let's say, but we could, you know, go overly love that, but we also love to love. Like we want something to care for, and we we are pleased to take care of something but we also you know want to take that toy from someone else like there's there's natural tendencies that do need to be trained 
but they're there. It's not like anyone's like, yep, this is just how you're going to be. That's it. Yeah. Um, Just briefly, one thing that keeps coming up in like rationalist circles, um, this study that I think was poorly done and and maybe they were drawing conclusions they weren't uh, actually, the statistics didn't bear out. But anyways, um, a lot of people like to cite this study that like parents don't matter at all. Um, they make no impact at all on the ki- on the kid, um, which is just like more and more justification for like a kid is just going to be born genetically what they are. And it doesn't matter if like the state takes them or whomever raises them. Like it doesn't matter who does or what happens to them. And it's a very, very industrial mindset. And I like this, like, you know, the the ways in which we cultivate children and have relationships with them matter quite a bit. And I, I think it's just really, really important. And I think it's uh, something that, that I'm always fighting with people about is the spreadsheet brain concept. But it's like, I think a lot of people want things to be like controlled and rational, but actually it's much better to lean into the holistic relational and realize that like the ways in which you like steward and tend children or gardens or whatever else actually does matter. It's not just like, you know, this seed has in the genetic material to, to, to blossom into a plant, but it can only do that with a certain kind of tending or a certain kind of, you know, environment. So um, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think a lot of people, now tend to underestimate how important that is. And I think they just kind of think like, yeah, whatever, slap some standardized curriculum on any kid and it's fine, as opposed to, you know, this constant like iteration, relational tending is really important. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, treating, treating the, and, and, and undergirding all this, right, is, is this huge respect for the person, mm. just like the person, you cannot sum up the person. Like Jerrell Mason has um, this critique of the guy who started the kindergarten movement. He's like, yeah, there's some good stuff here, but he says, we gotta be careful with the metaphor of a child being a plant. Cause yeah. then we can be like, oh, we can protect this greenhouse plant, this tender thing. She's like, but this only goes so far because absolutely nothing is like a person, right. absolutely nothing. So like all the metaphors are going to fall short. So, yeah. so let's not overdo any one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so her, uh, their next, her third principle, um, a lot of these ha- need like a lot of unpacking, but she says that this one is the principles of authority and obedience are natural, necessary, and fundamental. Okay. That's like a whole, Good. whole discussion. But part of that is excuse me, is, um, go, goes to the parents, right? Of like, okay, parents, you have authority to raise your kids. That means, uh, one, your duty is to take care of them in X, Y, Z ways. And you, uh, and there are at the same time limits to that. Authority does not mean arbitrary power. That's trespassing your role. It's an office, right? It's, huh. it's a role you're given. And if you say, I don't really want to do this, that's going to be bad for your kid. Like they, they will suffer that. They yeah. are looking to you. Yeah. Frankenstein to see what happens when you abdicate their responsibility. Um, but uh, so that's, 
what does that mean? That and, and I think this this point, yeah, it, like again, there's a whole discussion of like, you know, what is the proper relationship between authority and obedience? That's kind of one of the questions right now of our time. Yeah, right. And she's so helpful in laying that out, right? When is obedience servility? Like that's not what we want. When is authority tyranny? Well, that's that's not what we want either. When is authority just like, or you just give up? right because you don't want to be a tyrant so you just give up completely well that's bad too right but that's just, they're just natural like the, those principles like if you ignore them it's gonna be bad yeah it's, yeah just part yes. of, part this of is a, that's really good and i think it's worth pointing out that um i this this is where my thinking about civil society um comes in because we tend we have tended over the past century or so to think like the state could legislate a um, an authority, a way, a, a set of norms, like you know, making things crimes, making things punishable. Um, and in fact, there's just quite a lot of nuance in like relational authority that sh that should neither tend in, in either direction um, of too lax or too strict. And it only really happens in civil society, like in relationships between people and through practice. And I, there's really no way to abdicate it. And I think a lot of people just think like, you know, or I'll just call a bureaucracy on this person, like the Karenization. And instead, like, there is, I, I strongly believe this is this sort of hierarchy is a hierarchy in the sense that there's power differentials between any human relationship um, is, is just the case. And so if that's the case, then what do you do about it? To make sure that it's in correct balance, that everybody involved has a duty, both a duty and a response responsibility. That's sort of like, you know, it's it's something you can't really abdicate. Um, and I think I think about this a lot with regard to my my belief about um, parents and daycare. Um, it's like their kids aren't really cogs, especially not infants, um, and I know that a lot of people are forced into the daycare situation, but like you have this sort of responsibility to this infant. Um, and I don't know, I just think like what you were saying that she said, the um, the parental responsibility of, of, I mean, it's not obedience when it's an infant, but the responsibility a parent has uh, to their child. Um, I just think it really can't be outsourced, especially not in the, the really early stages. So Anyways, um, we can get back into that more when we get into the infancy discussion. But. Yeah, but but that's it's so true though that that's where it starts. It's like okay, you have a baby, and you can't. And uh, she she cites this other this other uh, thinker. Um, can't remember what his name is, but uh, talks about like for mothers. I mean, you look, you have this beautiful new baby. It's great, you know, like. <laughs> Now your task is set out for you, like brothers right. and fathers, but also, you know, you're going to have to think about what is a human being. You never thought about philosophy before. Now's your time because there's a human being in front of you and your love, like your, your natural affection will not carry you through. You need a thinking love. Mm -hmm. You need to know, like, what are you going to do yeah. with, this, with this baby? Right. And it does start, but, and having those that basic relationship 
of love and care and also, you know, setting boundaries. The baby doesn't die, you know, like, like that's where it all starts. And then you, and then you go from there. Yeah. But that's like, uh, that's, uh, that's, but that's, I'll, I'll mention real fast now that we're just mention the infant stage briefly. This is where Trilla Mason is so refreshing. Cause it's like, here's your baby. Oh man, we gotta, gotta read books to the baby. Gotta give them board books. Get, get, you know, if, even if they eat the board books, I guess that's kind of okay. You know, they're getting used to books. You know, you know, we have that sort of um, wretched urgency of like, oh man, we gotta educate this baby. Yeah. Get it ready for kindergarten. And uh, it's like, she's like, give them a tree, give them a family. Give right. them, like, who cares if they, you know, just let them eat books. They don't tell them a story. Tell yeah. them about their, well, the time that your uncle did such and such. Tell them a fairy tale, pray with them, sing with them. You don't have to give them a book and be like, oh man, it's time to learn your letters. Why would we think that? I know. And it's actually so funny. I think it's also just like a, a spreadsheet brain thing that parents will simultaneously a lot of like upwardly mobile um, thinking parents will simultaneously put the kid in daycare, but also do like baby Einstein stuff. And it's like, neither of those things are what babies need. Like if you really want them to have the best possible start in life, it's like, it's like somatic and sensory at that age. It's literally just like touch, hormones, connections to mother's bodies and other bodies of uh, family members. Um, you know, just basic needs being met, um, outdoor time, like, you know, basically this very sensory stuff, but also relational human relations stuff at, at the baby stage. And so it's, it, I think, I think the way the philosophy really leads to sort of weird, perverse outcomes, mo the modern philosophy towards parenting. Um, and I, yeah, I just think a lot of parents would do well to think about this differently in the way that you're describing. Yeah, it's kind of at the same time. Yeah, it's like your your instincts more on point than you know. I don't know whatever expert opinion you're trying to follow, but also, yeah, I we don't have so much traditions and people around us to go by. We only have the experts sometimes, so you yeah. get it. Yeah, right. Like I would just want the best thing for my kid, and how do I how do I get that? Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's, uh, but then what do you do in, instead? And how do you have the, um, the confidence to go ahead and, yeah. uh, yeah, raise your kid in that way. Yeah. The fourth, fourth principle is that, uh, the principles of authority and obedience that are natural and necessary, fundamental are limited by the respect due the personality of children. Mm. And in personality, she means, you know, like personhood, not like, right, melancholy and whatever, Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, so she says that personality must not be encroached upon, whether by the direct use of fear or love, suggestion or influence, or undue play upon any natural desire. Mm don't manipulate your kid. Yeah. It's right. Like, not just like, Oh mom, like it's kind of, it, and this is a steep order. And this is where you're like, how do we do that? 
you know, how do we not, um, it's like, well, he's so good when you know, he's going to get a chocolate bar, you know, next, or, uh, you know, what are, how do you properly, you know, cultivate like proper obedience and proper behavior and habits when, you know, but you, you need to respect the person of the the child Mm. and not, and that means you need to know that child Mm. really particularly. And there's, she has a whole book on formation of character, which is super helpful because she goes through specific examples and uh, of just different kids. And she like gives one girl who's just like, I don't know, goes to be sent to so-and-so to learn embroidery, like, like all her friends and sisters and they, they all love it. But, she, but her soul is, is dying mm-hmm. while she's there. And Cheryl Mason's like, okay, so what you do is get her out of there and go let her paint. Like she yeah. really wants to do. Right. Like, you know, she doesn't have to do this. Like, it's fine. This is fine. Like as a normal thing, but, but look at the girl, you know, like, let's look at what's happening. This right. individual. Right. Um, don't do that to her. Like, that's not, that's not a good trial that you're putting her under. That's not, she's not flourishing. Right. So. And some, I'm, I'm assuming she means some um, challenges are appropriate and some are arbitrary or arbitrarily enforced from some, you know, that's in a way that's not respectful of the personhood of the, of the child. Yeah. There's a ton of, and, and this is, this is one of those challenges, right? You're just like, oh man, do you, yeah, like how do you how do you raise a human being? It's an incredibly complex process. Yeah, that's right. You can't and so this is, I mean, again, like the 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 biggest thing is, you know, her principles are so helpful. And her work is so helpful, but the most important thing is seeing it done in real life. Yeah. And that's what she could give people when she was around. But that's what you know, that's still kind of what we're given is, uh, we, we got to find our own people kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, I think this person is doing this sort of thing. Well, how are they doing that? How can I do that too? One kind of, uh, uh, idea of Charlotte Mason is that she's like, oh, that's the nature study lady where you like flit about oh. in the woods. Right. And she's just like, go and explore everything and they'll just naturally be like the world it's amazing and it's like well no it's not like that and she's not actually like that but yes you know like there is there's something true there right Um, but she does like one of her fundamental principles which a lot of um uh yeah so the so the the next three principles are basically like they're they kind of sum up the rest of it in a lot of ways is okay education is an atmosphere it's a discipline, meaning a series of habits and a life. So, and at, by education, she means just living a life that's truly alive and flourishing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where just like, hmm, is the Charlotte Mason method for this person, or that person? It's for all humans. Because mm-hmm. all humans are meant for relationships with goodness, truth, and beauty, and ultimately with God. And there you go. Yeah, like, the, and here are the principles to carry that out. And they're gonna, they're gonna look different in your specific situation. But 
so the atmosphere right you your atmosphere will not be like you know honey better or, i mean I remember looking at um uh you know the atmosphere your home is especially important especially right in those early years mm -hmm. it doesn't matter your kids go to brick and mortar school later or not the home is amazing it is central there's nothing you can do about that that's just how it is mm. so the home as well as you know the home the school and everything needs to have the proper atmosphere which means it should have an atmosphere of wonder an atmosphere of love if everyone's stressed all the time that's not going to be great it's okay to be stressed sometimes <laughs> but if you're like oh man we got to read some something classic quick <laughs> uh, listen to some classical music okay yeah you know just like Who's interested in that? Right. Uh, but if you're living it out, um, that's if your home is a place of making, I always go back to this, right? And, you know, instead of like the consumer household, we're just yeah. like, well, here we are waiting for our food and entertainment to be brought to us. But if you're doing it, yeah, there's so many ways to do that. You can be drawing herbs, you can be reading out loud, you can be, uh, you know, uh, having me singing yeah um and that's that's just life that that's like you know how do we raise our kids in a charlotte mason education it means that for us it means we have people over to have irish folk music sessions yeah and we dance and not and if we have our kids sign up for dance lessons or sing you know learn dancing or, or piano or something we don't do that so that they can have a piano recital or become a professional piano player. It's right. so that they can play piano. Yeah. Yeah. Their life. Well, and I think like modeling as parents too, um, like showing a joy in making, um, as opposed to like sit down and, you know, or do, you know, as, as a, an authority that's seems arbitrary if you're, you yourself are not showing like an interest or curiosity in, in a thing, um, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like and and one one line Mason Mason always comes back to is you need to set a feast mm -hmm. for the child, and and this is one challenge I think in in a lot of our modern homes mm -hmm. we are kind of sometimes isolated, you know, because when she says like okay you know don't start formal lessons until like maybe even age eight yeah six is at the earliest, but what she means is don't just like you just sit around she's like no you should be doing so many things they, right. they should be learning uh so many things just being around the home but she's assuming and she does to you know spell this out too but she's like the home needs to be a, a, an alive place there needs to right. be people that they have relationships with they should have relationships with their neighbors and their place they, they don't have they don't have to sit down and do a lesson to know so many things yeah have so many relationships before they start school right right but we but we as modern parents have to model that kind of active home life um and i think that's something i really love about uh what i've learned about charlotte mason so far it's really coincides a lot philosophically with people's driven desire to do homesteading or small farming it's like they want to be productive. They want to make things, but partially because they want to show their kids that they're being productive and making things and that 
it's possible to do so, that life isn't just a series of consumer decisions, but instead like uh, ways in which you could, um, uh, you, you can for yourself uh, develop a productive capacity by, driven by your curiosity, you know, driven yeah. by your interests, driven by your needs. Um, even if it's saving money, you can be driven by that, but that shows a sort of value of thrift. Um, so yeah, I just think it's, it's super important for it to come sort of from the parents, but can we, should we switch over to some examples, some age, uh, based examples? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so the, the discipline part, education is a discipline basically means it's, it's a habit. Yeah. So, um, and habit is probably one of those absolutely, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge in Charlotte Mason. So, and this is part of what's going on in, well, this is the main thing other than relationships that, uh, is going on in the earliest years mm. is okay. Just the habit of obedience, right? Like, and the habit of attention, the habit of, uh, tidying up after yourself, mm. um, and all those things will then be the bedrock for when you do more stuff. Right. And, and this is, this is where, you know, I, I, I meet, um, moms who are, uh, you know, just starting out, like they have little kids and they're like, well, okay, you know, I, I will, you know, think about education in a few years. It's like, no, 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 you want to start it now. I yeah. mean, habits, you, that is their education. And, and Cheryl Mason talks about like people, you know, sending their kid to school and be like, okay, finally, someone's going to take care of my kid. Right. It's like, no, 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 that was your job. Like right. it's never too late. You know, there's always redemption. Don't worry. But that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Is lay those foundations. And, um, and it, it's one of those things too, where like, you know, developmentally, um, you know, developmental stages are, are, are stages, but at the same time, a lot of things that are good for kids are good for us and they help us keep us accountable. Like mm -hmm. we we're, were talking about so like rhythms when, you know, your, your infant and you should, you know, you, you should have a rhythm to your life. That doesn't mean this like schedule. Oh man. We don't want to, don't want to get into debates about <laughs> sleep scheduling and stuff. Schedules, yeah. But I think that's, I think that's so indicative of our time, right? Again, it's kind of that spreadsheet mentality that you mentioned. Yeah. Like, yeah, but, but what are we gonna just like, no, 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 no. Just like, just a rhythm. Like this is when we eat, we're all together. Then we sing a song and have, have, it's just part of a healthy ordered life and not a life of chaos that will stress you out. Yes, actually. So, okay. I have a mini rant on this, which is that I okay. think, um, my sense with infancy, pregnancy to end childbirth and early infancy is that, um, I think that we basically have been spreadsheet brained into thinking to, to ignoring all of our, our instincts and, mm -hmm. and sort of diminishing our power um, to be pregnant and to give birth and to feed and care for infants. And I think basically like we've over-medicalized the process, made it all about expert opinions and made it all about like pathologies. And, yeah. and then it basically like makes people scared because we're animals and we want our offspring to survive. And so then we think like, 
I've got this pathology and I need my baby to survive. And so I need to like solve it with this high tech medical intervention, whatever. Whereas I think if you kind of could let go of that philosophy and mentality and accept, um, play up your power and instincts, then it there's the there's this difference, what you were just saying, between a rhythm and a schedule. A schedule is like control. Like I have friends who pump breast milk exclusively just so they can know how much milk they're giving because they have to know how much milk they're giving. And I was like, I never knew how much milk I was giving. If the baby is growing, I don't need to know. But they, they have the scientific mentality like, I just have to know the exact number of ounces and I have to write it down on the spreadsheet. And that's how I'll know that the baby is thriving and the baby has to go to sleep at this time. And it's like just such an industrial cog in a wheel mindset as opposed to a rhythm. And I think a lot of people, when we're talking, you were talking about habits, um, you know, kind of when they're, they first become uh, mothers, new mothers, and that they have these infants at home are just sort of reacting like, what is going on here? Like, I'm just reacting. Like, I don't even know how to deal with this because they have never in their lives up until that point um, been driven by like instinct and rhythm and, and the ability to like pay attention to the baby's cues and their own bodily cues. And, and it's like this huge shift. If you can do it, it's so magical, but it's so hard for so many people, especially with the confines of like, nobody to teach you. You're all alone in the house. You've got maybe your spouse is at work maybe you have work yourself. And so you're like trying to, to follow on biology and rhythm, like despite all of those challenges. And so it's not easy. I'm not saying that it is, but if you can, it can be this sort of like beautiful habit formation where it's like, maybe you, you nurse when the baby's hungry and you fall asleep together and um, you make yourself nutritious food. And as the baby turns into a toddler, they can see you making food and, and be involved and picking up after yourself and leading by example and picking up after the baby. And then the toddler learns like, oh, we pick things up after we're done. Um, as opposed to this, like, get on a schedule or like pick up all those toys before your nap time or whatever. Instead, it could be this really beautiful thing. But like the, like you were saying, the atmosphere is really important, you know, yeah. the approach to it, the the vibes, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, it reminds me of um, all these parenting books or like, you know, the, you know, the French way of parenting and how yeah. I learned from them or the other way. And the thing is, it's kind of like what Michael Pollan wrote about food. He's like, find a food tradition. Just find one. It doesn't matter which one. Right. Because it's got all this stuff, you know, it's a tradition and we're, in, maybe you're coming from nothing. And all those books about, you know, how I learned from the French or how I learned from whatever, you know, Scandinavians something. Well, they tend to, often it's the person is like, I'm a neurotic New Yorker. <laughs> and I don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Because I was not taught, right? You know, yeah. like, it's not, it's not your fault. And, but I read it and like, well, I know some Midwestern grandmothers who are okay. You know, yeah. like I, I, you could learn from them too. You don't have to go to France, but maybe you do, you know, if you need to yeah. learn certain things but uh but yeah there's there's a a wholeness to life that uh yeah we really we want to do things right and we want to and it's it's uh it's really yeah you know I, I mean I was I was home alone you know with my first baby and just like well 
here I am. Yeah. I'm, you know, going to talk to my husband a lot when he comes home. Cause I'll have all these thoughts and then I'll call friends and say, do you want to get together? And they'll be like, you know what? I need some introvert time after my day at work. And I'll be like, fine, that's fine. Yeah. Your introvert time. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's hard, but yeah. one, one of the great blessings was that we did not have internet access at home mm. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have recourse to, you know, looking up, I don't know, all the symptoms or, you know, right. pregnancy or having a baby. I could focus if I wanted to ask someone I had, I had some books, but I also had, I did have a mother-in-law and my mother, like I could call people, but I, I could also pay attention to my child yeah, and figure out what, you know, what worked well for us. And, and it was incredibly lonely time. Yeah. And I think but one of the things that helped was knowing that it's not supposed to be like that. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, well, this is what everyone deals with. It's like, well, actually too many people do deal with this nowadays, but this should not be. And so now, but I know how that is now. Yeah. Now I know what other people might need when yeah. they're in this situation. I yeah. can tell them it's not meant to be like that. Um, yeah. And I would just, I'm going to, without going down this rabbit hole too much, I'll just say, um, I do want to have, um, this woman on who is interested in, I, I did La Leche leave when my oldest was an infant and it was awesome, but I think it's sort of changed since then and become sort of more medicalized and more like about, um, going to a lactation consultant for everything, you know, that kind of thing as opposed to like mother to mother peer sharing. But, um, I have, um, somebody com who's coming on to talk about like recreating and just kind of like go in a church basement, peer to peer mother hangout with infants or toddler session to just like share stories and gripes and experiences and learn from one another and just pass the day in between naps where you have like somebody to hang out with and some adult interaction. And so I do think that there's ways to recreate um, uh in the modern context, these kinds of things. But before we go too far in that, let's move on to, I think early childhood and infancy is pretty similar is my understanding, like um, kind of just learning in the home, following curiosity. Is there anything else on like early childhood before we get to like middle childhood, a more formal education? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, there's a whole, yeah, she has a whole book on just like home education and that's like just, what you're doing at home, right, from age zero to even nine, like even when you may, might have started formal lessons. But that's basically what it all boils down to is is the habits and relationships. Yeah. And you know, know you should know your place. You should know your family, and you know your extended, which means your extended family too, right? And uh, you should know stories told orally, not from a book. Yeah. Um, like that's preferred mm. at this stage. Uh, and then, so moving into the, like the kind of middle, you're like, I don't know, middle before, before middle grades, but kind of like, yeah, like age eight to, to middle school. Um, then they start more formal lessons and, and of course, everything's, everything's built on the, the habits and, and as an example to zero in on, um, science, you start out with having relationships with um the natural world and she she says like up to age six 
you should have should be you should be outside six hours a day yeah right <laughs> do your darndest. nobody does that but i love it so much i love yeah. it as a yeah she's like if you're in the city take a train out into the country and i know sometimes you can't do this but but just know that that is kind of the best thing so yeah. so for that just yeah. just know that and, yeah. and do your best and and so once and so if you have that baseline and then like when you're outside she has these different things you can do to say like oh you know uh what wonderful thing did you just see you know mm -hmm. like, oh I saw a million birds out in the air and there was a something or other and you know and and they practice and there's so much they're practicing when they're talking about what they've seen one they're narrating mm -hmm. which is a huge principle and of of hers it's narrating uh is you basically process what you just saw, read, or experienced right after that, mm. which helps you. And then you can like discuss it more and analyze or whatever. But if you narrate immediately afterward, you have it. I love it. You owned it in a weird way. And people and kids naturally do this, yes. right? Like, and so, so again, like you're going to channel that later with like up to age six, you don't make them narrate. They just, yeah. they just and while they're narrating about, you know, this, this cool thing down the, by the Creek they saw, she, she tells you like, you should, you know, help them develop language for what they're seeing, you know, like, and, and just like, okay, describe the maple tree you, you saw, um, describe what it was doing and then tell them it's a maple after they, you know, after they've seen it instead of like, we will learn about maple trees. <laughs> right. Just like, where's the discovery there? Like, yeah. let them discover. Right. Let them discover it and and be be interested in it. And and that's another, like, there's a lot of guidance. There's a lot of imitate, you know, like I'm doing it and then you can imitate. But there's also a lot of what she calls masterly inactivity. Mm. And when you know, like you've developed the habits, you've had you set aside times, you have a feast for them, you have beautiful places in the outdoors they can just run free in and stuff. And then sometimes you just shut up. Like, don't say anything, let yeah. them, let them be like, so, and sometimes you say something, but don't say too much. Yeah. Don't over explain. And it's, I just takes practice, but yeah. Don't helicopter. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and while they're describing something, you're also helping them find the language, like, right? you know, maple plateau grass blade, but also she says like work on precision too. Like, did you see a million birds and just gently like, oh, did maybe, you know, I don't know, like a murder of crows, maybe you saw, <laughs> um, or, or something like, like, she's just very, very into precision, like the language. Yeah. Yeah. Like care for your words and not in a pedantic way, right? but just like in the ordinary way that a kid learns language, she says, I saw, I goed over there and you say, oh, you went over there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just gently gently showing them and then once they start formal lessons in science they're um or, or natural history it sounds better natural philosophy yeah that they're still they're still going outside they're still exploring but they're starting to keep nature journals they're starting to notice the weather and and you notice it together this is <laughs> this is such a, a convicting thing right i needed to do this better but you notice like like they, she's like all the trees where you are, they should know intimately what they look like in every season. Right. 
and know like, oh yeah, that's, a, that's, that's that maple tree. You're like, I don't even need to see the leaves. I know mm. it. Yeah. And just cause you, just cause you have a relationship with it. And then when you start to learn, you know, you, you bring in the books, the books are never replacing that discovery. But even when you're reading about something and again, like, oh, we saw that let's, let's read more about this bird. Uh, maybe not read too much about it before you've actually observed what does the robin do right much better to see he's eating a robin <laughs> rather than robins eat worms yeah you know? now say that after me um that is that is preferred and then what kind of books do you use mm. you now you def a lot of people have heard this the living books are what you want she said don't get books that talk down to kids don't get books that dumb things down. And it doesn't mean that like you might not use a book that's like has simpler language. It still should be good yeah. language. Yeah. It should be beautiful. There's no reason, you know, it's not. And this is one of those things where people are like, oh yeah, kids don't like vegetables or, you know, like they think right. like, we'll give them good vegetables. Right. Give them a chance. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, children don't like, like children don't like music that, happened before their time where did they learn that right that is a learned behavior right <laughs> um i listened to eight tracks yeah um not of mozart but you know yeah. um other things uh and so you're you're reading the book so it's but it still has that philosophy of discovery and attention and the kind of book should have the, the books should be highest quality because why would you have it any less yeah. And why would you want to spend so much time narrating those books, you know, reading them and then either telling about them or maybe painting a picture of what you just read about There's various ways of narrating. She does this with, with paintings. Like you look at the painting, you study it, you close your eyes, see if you can see it in your mind. And then you narrate back. Mm -hmm. You don't say the teachers and say, now what are the 10 symbols that you noticed in that painting? And you're like, Oh man, I have, hope I get the right answer right that is you know anti-relationship right it's like no like let's we'll set up you know you set up the 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 book well or the painting well and then let the let the meeting happen mm. let the encounter happen mm. and this is where narration is amazing because it does it addresses the individuality of the child so kind of simply, you know, it's, it's just, you know, okay, here's this beautiful thing, narrate it. It might not be your absolutely favorite book. Um, you know, that some, some kid will be like really turned on by something in math or really turned on by learning about Cardinals or something. And then he'll keep on going there, but that might be his in to other things. Right. Right. right? It, you know, just like, you know, if a kid is learning about being, you know, saints or something, one kid be, might be like, man, St. George, he's really cool. He's a knight. And also a saint is like that. But another kid will be like, I'm not into knights. I'm not, but I'm, but I'm intrigued by uh, this girl, you know, feeding a poor man with a, with a, with her own water cup or something, you know, like there are different ways toward wonder. Yeah. Well, and this is something I'm, I've been thinking a lot about um, which is that I think there is like in something like unschooling that similar kind of principle of like 
you know, follow the child's interests. But I have come around to the fact that you also need to curate intentionally what kind of gets put in front of them. They're not going to just happen to find like some great book stories. Like they're not going to go seek that out at a library or something like that. Like you do as a parent, I think, have to be quite intentional about what kind of education you want to give them or what kind of sources you want them to be exposed to. And um, I was going to ask, I, 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 um, I looked around on this Ambleside online, which is like the Charlotte Mason um, website for people who want to uh, use this curriculum and it's free, but they, but she has, or at least they have like a set, set, set books that actual tells you what the book list is for different ages. Is that is that what you use? Is that like in alignment with Charlotte Mason or like there's a set book list and I'm sure you could go off of it, but there's like these foundational books. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, first that's an excellent, excellent point. And I, and I think one of the fun things too, is just like, you get to curate, you get to introduce your kid to all sorts of stuff yeah. and, and they're, they're going to enjoy probably all of it. Yeah. And it's okay if they don't enjoy it right away. You just throw it in front of them, you know, yeah. fill your house with beautiful books. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make a difference, but also, uh, and, and some of those things might become their favorites. You don't know which one become their favorite favorites, but they'll all, all be good. Yeah. But you don't, yeah. Like, like, you don't just say, okay, child, do you, what do you want to do? Right. Or like, As if they have, yeah. Like, well, what is there? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. no one's going to want to become a farmer if they've never been to a farm. Right. If they've never had any exposure to it. And I, yeah, I think a lot of things that's important too, thinking about just being exposed to different people's careers and lifestyles and like having friends that are outside your social milieu is like another cool thing that you can curate for your kids so they can just have those experiences. But one book that we read together based because we found it on the Ambleside uh, website is 50 Famous Stories. Have you read that? Oh yeah. I, I, some of them we've been reading some of them yeah and it's like these old it's like our you know cultural lineage of various stories from Europe and Greece and Rome and mythical stories that like I think influence our western philosophy overall so then the kids were reading it and then they would narrate back and then we would talk about like well what is the moral of this you know and um I thought that was really cool and it's like this it's a perfect Charlotte Mason thing like it's curated you're in, you're intentionally putting it in front of them we're having a they're narrating back what they heard but then we're talking about it but then it's like oh yeah I've heard of this before um you you hear these references in our culture to these various characters um and you know mythical characters and so it's like okay, this is what, this is the origin of that. And it's nice to, to equip your kid with those, that kind of information, I think, cultural, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those, yeah. Those like fairy tales and myths and Bible stories and stuff, they, they, and legends, it's kind of, I mean, they're folk in, in, in a lot of ways, like the kind of folk art that high art is eventually made out of. Yeah. But you, you know, you can't, they're both good. It's not like yeah. one better than the other. Yeah. But folk art is the soil that, you know, like the ordinary, just rich soil that the fancy meal might be made out of, but you don't have the fancy meal all the time. That's just yeah. where I, I totally yeah, exactly. Um, um, so yeah, yeah. sorry, I, I got us off track, but uh, oh yeah, anything more just to just to round out like the practical 
um, of the middle childhood uh, curriculum that we haven't yet touched on any any other major component to the curriculum we didn't touch on? Yeah, I mean, narration is, yeah, is is a, a big part of that. And I'll, I'll say too, it's one thing great too, is like, you hear what the child heard, right? And you're right. just like, oh, you didn't get that part, right? <laughs> so we can talk about that or like that detail. Um, you can talk about that. And it's, it's starting that foundation of, I mean, again, like every, it, this is the case, even when they're an infant too, but like, especially so now where they are doing the learning, they are yeah. doing work. Yeah. Like you got plenty of work to do too, but you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you don't lecture and then give a test. You don't do that. You read something and, you know, sometimes it's better to like, okay, introduce the book because sometimes a book, an old book needs proper introduction and then let the kid read it, mm. let him have a relationship. You guide him through it with like maybe understanding from context and stuff. But when, when a child responds to that and whether it's a text or, you know, piece of art or something, um, she does, she's, she does the same thing with math. It's like, okay, here's this okay, now what happened? Mm. You know, what did we just do? Yeah. Okay. Now you do it sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's just, just basic principle of learning such that when you get to the older grades, you are able to build on that such that it's like, okay, go take your class with, um, Milton and, uh, maybe, uh, Edward Gibbon, you know, just like, yeah, yeah. go do your history lesson. Here's the book. This is your teacher. Yeah. This is your curriculum. Yeah. We'll talk about it later, but like, just go, just go to the. Yeah. And, and actually this reminds me so much of my feelings early on about attachment parenting, which is that like you set this good foundation and good, like relational, um, I guess way of like way of re relating to one another that just falls into a, a pattern, um, a set of, understandings about how things work and it it's a ton of work early on but it gets easier and easier because you set that foundation as opposed to having to like maintain control the whole time through you know some sort of like I don't know stick uh or carrot and stick situation but instead it's like no, we're going to, I'm going to set you up with a, a really nice basis. You're going to be confident because of that. You're going to know how things work, but you're also going to be able to do things on your own because of it and have internal drive. Um, yeah. and, and I'm really bearing the fruit of that right now. And I'm really enjoying my kids at this age. Um, one example I have that's similar to the lessons is um, my kids want to walk places now um, themselves and it's like a win-win as a parent where you're like okay I'm gonna go with you one time like I'm gonna show you the route um, and after that they're like can we go by ourselves and it's like yes you can like just remember the route like if there's any situation like you have your contingencies for any kind of emergency um, but it's one of those things where you put in all the work to like get them to be conscientious and to have this moral foundation and to understand how things work and to prove that they're responsible. And then at a certain point, it's less work for you as a parent to let them go, you know? Um, yeah. It's just yeah. a win-win for everybody. This is super fun. It's such a gift. Yeah. It's like you've, 
you've given them and you know it, it like on the maybe you're yeah they're they're free to do certain things that they wouldn't be free to do without the habits and you know just like the um yeah the relationships they've built yeah right and responsibility and yeah and like moral compass almost like but the moral compass is like driven by um the also like the curiosity i think the you know the in the the drive the internal drive i think this is the I would say this is one of the main things that differentiates from, I think, the way a lot of people raise and think about their kids now is just um, not paying close enough attention to to cultivating that internal drive, internal responsibility, yeah. internal morality that then will make life um, a lot easier for them and for you as they as they strengthen it. It's like a muscle, you know, this yes. being able to be curious and follow up on that curiosity is a muscle that then just get strengthened over time and will never go away if you set that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. This is why like I've had middle school students who are just so alive, so curious. They're doing, they're doing great. And then, and then my husband will have undergrad students who are like, the light has, the light of wonder has died. I know. I know. What do we do? That's a whole, you know, rescue mission, right? Like, like, something went wrong and and that it didn't have to be like that right it did not have to be like that and so uh because yeah and it's it's not because like oh you guys just don't care it's like no 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 they were failed yeah right light of knowledge like everyone naturally desires knowledge like do we listen to our you know kids ask questions all the time they know you know maybe kids are asked about like how the water system works and and about like where do bad guys come from? Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this. I know. Oh my gosh, the one my three-year-old keeps bringing up, um, and then we'll we'll wrap up. But my, she she keeps asking me the, the the assumption of this question is so funny. I tweeted about it. Um, she goes, okay, so when you and dad were kids, and like say you were a kid and you had a babysitter and somebody was watching you, uh, where was I? <laughs> Oh, who was babysitting me? Like, where was I? And I was like, oh, well, you weren't born yet, you know? And she was like, well, I was in your belly. I was like, well, kind of, not really. And she just like, I just said like, you know, you just didn't exist yet. And she was like, what does exist mean? What does that mean? It was so, and then we like kind of talked a little bit of philosophy and religion and stuff like that. But it was just really cute. And it was like a great end to to have that discussion. The kids do that kind of stuff all the time. Um, Okay, so as we're wrapping up, you know, there's a million things we can continue talking about, but like big picture, um, why should parents, why would it be good for our society if more parents did a method like Charlotte Mason? Um, And then secondarily, like, how can people with all their modern life, life challenges um, get into this? And like, I would just say from my experience, um, it, it's the same thing with homesteading. Like, and I feel the same way about homeschooling. Like it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. Like you don't have to like adopt this entire curriculum and plan your whole life around it just to be able to do some of it. Like there's so many principles here that can work even if your kids are in school regular school like you could be incorporating in their whole lives from infancy on through adulthood you could even have these kinds of you know conversations and principles with adult children 
Um, so anyway, so let's let's first say why this would be a good thing for people to adopt and then um, and then how to get into it. Yeah, why and how. Um, yeah, so why I think is because we, uh, one reason is that we're really confused about what it means to be a person and we tend to treat people like machines too often and we are not machines is the only problem with that. <laughs> it doesn't work and it's bad for us. So Charlotte Mason uh, reminds us of the complexity of the human being and the end of the, the immense beauty of human life and what we're meant for. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is, yeah, like when you get to the older ages too, right? Like you're, you know, you're gonna, yeah, your kids are asked big, big questions. You need to be ready for that. You don't, she, she's got this line where she says, I know the babies are cute, but you still need to be reading and developing and growing all the time. Right. Like you need to, what are you going to do in their middle school, high school? Right. You need to, you need to be growing. Um, and this is, and what it means to be, you know, how do we raise, uh, yeah. And, and the why too, this is not just for parents, right? Like you said, this is about, um, what do human beings need? And there, there's some, some, a lot of parallels between her work and Simone Weil. And she's like, what's, Weil's like, what's the needs of the human soul, mm -hmm. right? Mason brings that out too, of like, what does a human being need? And her work is so perceptive such that school, not only school teachers and parents could read this, but people are just like thinking about how do we build a, a healthy neighborhood? Yeah. What do human beings need? Right. At every level, we, uh, we kind of need to recover the complexity of human beings and human society and the, the high, you know, the high calling of being human being. Yeah. Right. It's not just, I don't know, making a lot of money or something. Um, and so, and how, how do you get into this? Ambleside Online is really great. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got all her work for free on there. Um, all, all her, her six volumes of education, you can also, you know, order them and get the, get, get all, all the set as well as archives of parents review articles, um, as well as book lists. Um, the book lists are really helpful, especially, I mean, you know, people reading the website probably are English speakers. And so those books are just like for English speaking people. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's going to be different, right? If you're, uh, found a French Charlotte Mason website the other day. Um, but like, what's, what is your history, right? right? The American kids are going to be reading something different than the English kids. Uh, she writes about, you know, you should learn French English people. So you're not one of those English people go to France and be like, Oh, uh, <laughs> what was that? Come here. Garçon. She's like, that's not being a good neighbor. Yeah. You should learn French. So, but maybe you live in a place where you should learn a different language to be a good neighbor. Um, yeah. And what's, you know, but the principles are at work, but the, in the book lists, there are different, um, so there are different groups. So like, like there's Ambleside online. Uh, there's uh, the Charlotte Mason Education Center. There's other places that have kind of particular guidance as well as people you can connect with that can mentor you in the task of raising a human being. Mm -hmm. There are, 
there are some schools actually too um that use still use the, the charlotte mason uh um uh uh Curriculum. Yeah, philosophy. Yeah. It, it, and it, again, she talks about the difference between a method and a system. Yeah. It's not a system, but she's like, but we need a method. Yeah. Because everyone's asking, but how do we do that? I might be on board with the philosophy. Like, yes, the person's amazing, but what do we do with my kid right now? Right. How do I train this, these habits? And that's where she, she comes in. Like mm -hmm. she is there for the method. She's there for the specifics. She's got tons of tons of wisdom for every stage of a human being's life and then you can then you build on that mm -hmm. right for um and and also like taking those principles this is what i found with her is just like oh it's just it's just a philosophy of what a human being is i yeah. can use these principles to say like oh this you know montessori school might be offering what i you know what I need for my child right now it's not like I'm choosing a different method or something right, right it's just like no this fits and this fits my situation I'm gonna or this co-op is fitting my situation the school this homeschooling stage um when when your kid gets in high school that's when especially like they need other young people like mm -hmm. their peers are super important so what yeah. are you gonna do you know you gotta find good peers you know like, yeah like what you're you need to have the have that built up have those relationships built up so starting to i i would say maybe maybe the most i mean i i could i can make a list too of like various like levels of introduction because there's one of the best things is just like reading her books with a book group and talking about it uh, yeah is one of the best things but there's also Autumn Kern's podcast, The Commonplace. Okay. It's awesome. She's she's really wonderful. Some of the podcasts are just like 15 minutes long too, but they're also really rich. Mm. So she she's really great. She's she's very articulate. Um and uh Karen Glass is one of the founders of Ambleside Online, homeschooler kids for you know 20 years and stuff. And she's very, very articulate too in uh, Charlotte Mason's, like, how do you narrate? How do you live out these principles? Um, so those are a few of just those resources out there. Um, the good ones too, because like Charlotte Mason's becoming kind of like, I don't know, lost lots of things. like classical and Montessori too, right? You know, like you a meme or like people are just like making content and it's like, yeah, like inspirational yeah, like Instagram like, stories or whatever. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but so, yeah, I would say like with the, the same principle is true with homesteading. Like people say, like, how do I get started? And it's really kind of um, a process that you have to initiate with like a maker mindset. Like you yeah. have to be have agency in this process. You need to think about the various resources you have, the situation your family is in. Uh, the time you have, the money you have, what your your specific kids, and then you need to move forward. So it's really just like a back and forth, the same kind of way you teach your kids. It's the same thing you're doing for yourself, like a back and forth interaction with the philosophy and then thinking like, how can I make this work in my life? Or how can I find resources? How can I find a mentor? I think I, I, I love the idea of working with a mentor because for a lot of people, it's like, oh, it's so overwhelming. There's so much here. Maybe talk through somebody who's had those same kinds of questions and experiences who can guide you. 
Um, and, but then it's really just a matter of, um, yeah, making it work in your specific circumstances. So, um, but that's good. It's all good. It's, I was going to say earlier, like a lot of people say when you're raising a kid, they kind of raise you. I feel like this is very true with this education too. Like many of us, I think as parents were raised in this sort of like standardized education system. Um, and so it's like reparenting yourself in some way to allow yourself to like explore curiosity and to model that. I think it's, it's new for a lot of people. And so it's not just for the kids. I mean, it's for your own personal development as well as it's like, it's cool to be able to, to explore that side of yourself or have an excuse to, um, in the name of educating your children, but you know, it's good for the whole yeah. thing. Um, it's a good excuse. Like, yeah. it's a education. we're going to go, yeah, I don't know, live in a farm for the year. Right, right, exactly. Or we're going to go do this, you know, field trip, or we're going to explore this thing. And like, I, I do feel so blessed, like having kids is such a, a great excuse to be able to do such fun things and then see the world through their eyes. And then you're like, you know, getting to relive your own childhood curiosity um, and model that. So Tessa, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation. Um, I'm so glad we talked about it. And, you know, we could go on and on if there's if there's interest, we could we could maybe do another um, episode um, and maybe bring the other ladies back on um, to, to go into some more depth of their experiences. But this was so great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. It was such fun. All right. Have Bye. a good one.